Welcome to Searching the Sacred. I'm Jason Steffenhagen. I'm Steph Spencer. And I'm Lisa Adams. We are hosting conversations about scripture for the curious, doubters, and hope seekers. We're inviting people to ask different questions, questions asked by those who have been wounded and hurt, questions asked by those who have deconstructed and are looking for a reconstruction. We're creating space for love, kindness, justice, and curiosity. We will wrestle, we will question, we will dance, we will dream, we will wonder, we will be frustrated, and we will hope. We aren't searching for singular answers or solutions. We are searching the sacred. Hey everyone, we are in the midst of season three, and we're glad that you are checking out Searching the Sacred. We hope that you have subscribed. And also, we always want to encourage people, especially those that may have listened a long time ago and don't stick around for the end, we want to encourage you to check out 40 Orchards and join in a circle. You can find their information at 40orchards.org. That's 40orchards.org. So make sure to check that out. We're going to do something that sometimes happens at 40 Orchards, which is a check-in. And as Lisa put it uh, earlier in our private conversation, which you were not attuned to, is sometimes we just let the spirit move amongst us as to what we're feeling, what we're going through, and let that kind of guide what passage we study. And so Steph's going to kind of lead us through that process as we do a little check-in. Um, well, you know, we've one of our most common check-in questions is it's sort of like an oldie but a goodie, um, which is just the question of what you've been wrestling with lately. Um, but I kind of want to intro that even as we give ourselves a moment to think about it and listeners think about that too, to say, like sometimes we think wrestling is a bad thing. Um, sometimes our faith tradition has told us we should have certainty and we shouldn't struggle or we shouldn't question. And one of the core values of 40 Orchards is wrestling, that we actually believe that this is a part of who we're meant to be as humans, that is to hold questions and to think about them and to hold that struggle together. Um, and that we even see that witness in scripture that, um, Jacob is renamed Israel, one who wrestles with God and with humans and is able, and that that becomes the name of the people of faith. Um, and so that wrestling is good. Um, and so with that in mind, that wrestling is good and wrestling together really helps that. Um, what is something that you have been thinking about or wrestling with lately that you would love to bring to our podcast conversation today? Well, <laughs> do the uh, the big thing I'm wrestling with is reimagining Jesus. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure we can have a podcast session about that. Um, it's uh, yeah, like reimagining Jesus from a place of like not carrying with all the things that I've been taught since I was little. Um. But I also feel like um, this is this always comes like I had a spiritual direction thing, and that's always a place that starts and it invites a wrestling. And one of the things that I noticed um, today was that I usually, um, if I was thinking about like what would I ask God for, what do I want? Um, usually, my response is rest. Like I want like a deep rest. I would like. I want to quit doing everything for a hot minute and just 
not. But today I noticed that um, there's a longing for strength instead um, as a way to keep going. And it makes me think about the wrestling because the wrestling requires the strength. And so there's something like all that. That's what's, I mean, if we want to reimagine Jesus together, let's go. But also that could be big for a podcast episode. <laughs> Might be hard to keep that one under an hour. <laughs> and and everybody could not, obviously this is a, uh, a a listening medium, right? So people couldn't see the facial expressions that when Lisa said that, like all eyebrows went up like, oh geez, that's huge. <laughs> it was awesome. And so I think all that anybody heard was Lisa say it and then pause and then chuckle because she was catching all of our facial expressions and it was beautiful. Um, maybe we should do a whole season on reimagining Jesus for this podcast. That could be kind of fun just to deconstruct, reconstruct, midrash around some New Testament passages, maybe even some old ones that we tend to gravitate towards that talk about, you know, the future coming Messiah and what those are really getting after. So anyway, we can go a lot of directions. But um, yeah, I think the thing that I've been wrestling with lately is uh, some of you that listen to this may know me, some of you may not. Um, I am newly appointed by the United Methodist Annual Conference of Minnesota as a lead pastor up in Shoreview, North Oaks of Minnesota, just north of the cities. And in I've been here for four months, for no, four weeks, not four months, four weeks. And I'm in this tension, this kind of beautiful tension, uh, and I've been calling it the tension of vision and viewing, of being the lead pastor of a small church who in many ways is, is the, the job description is to provide vision. Like, where are we going? Who are we? How do we get to the place that we want to go? What's our mission? What's our vision? Let's go. And yet I'm four weeks in, I'm still meeting people, learning names, don't know the church calendar that they operate by, trying to understand the budget, which furnace is going to go out first, and do we have money to pay for it? And like all of those questions that just require me to like observe and absorb. And so I'm holding that space between viewing and taking in information and also knowing that the church is looking to me to provide some vision and direction for who who we are and who we're becoming. So I'm kind of holding that tension between vision and viewing. You know, the, the hard part for me in answering this question is always that I'm, I'm simultaneously wrestling, wrestling with many things. And so it's hard for me to pick one. Um, and I'm so used to the comfort with wrestling that I'm like, oh, I don't even know that I pause that often to think about how many questions I'm thinking about. <laughs> they just, just all ride. Um, and so I'm pausing a little bit to, to notice what might be rising to the surface in them all. Um, I, I think maybe something around the question of what, what is mine to do? Um, that there's this ongoing piece of like, in a lot of my work, I mean, and besides 40 orchards, I do Enneagram work. I'm walking beside people. Um, and there's different ways that I've framed that over the years. Lisa and I have talked about, um, just even just this morning, this idea of being midwives, um, uh, is a, is a powerful and helpful metaphor as we kind of hope that things get birthed in others. What is it to kind of walk alongside that? But then it's, it causes this ongoing wrestle for me of like where, you know, when to step in and when to step back. 
um, with others. And then also like, what is mine and what is God's in that transformation process as well? And kind of what, because I think sometimes I can get overwhelmed. I, I know that when I get overwhelmed, I, I end up in an inaction spot. Um, and so, but then sometimes I overcompensate and feel like compelled to, oh, I should text everybody today, check in so they know I care. But then it's like coming from a weird place. That's not good. And so I think, yeah, that, that sort of walking well beside people, um, and what that looks like, um, would maybe be a way to summarize that messy wrestle. So before we start pitching different scriptures that potentially align with the different spaces we're at, can I just ask you a question? And maybe both of you, I think you both do this really well. I have heard at times that, and you brought this up with the idea of certainty versus wrestling. I think that for some people, the idea of sitting in attention and wrestling with things is an incredibly scary place to be. And what you just named is I'm always wrestling with a number of things and they just kind of like are existing. And to some, they may have heard that and thought, oh, that's really good for her. Others may have thought, oh, that sounds like the freakiest existence imaginable. Like how have you maybe reconciled that way of existing while we, many of us have grown up in a culture of certainty. So not only how did you maybe get there, but like, why is that like, a functional norm for you that doesn't feel like shaky foundation. It actually feels like a firm foundation. Time. (laughs) I think it takes time to reimagine. Like I would name that we've, we've used the words on the podcast of, you know, deconstruction, reconstruction, because those are, um, pretty common ones for people to talk about faith. I actually prefer disorder and reorder. It's a part of that reordering process to say, actually, wrestling provides a better foundation than certainty. Um, Why is that? I think in metaphor. So here's my (laughs) metaphor that comes to mind is actually like in places when, if you put it in that construction realm, in places where there's earthquakes, they actually have to create a certain amount of flexibility in the structure so that it can withstand the earthquake. Um, and if you make buildings too rigid, the earthquake topples them. And I think in faith, or I think about like the palm tree and how the palm tree needs to have a flexible um, trunk in order to withstand the winds, that like life is hard <laughs> and, and struggle is a part of it. And there's actually a different kind of foundation that can be built that then can move with those questions and struggles differently and not topple the way a rigid structure topples. And there is a way that over time that can start to feel firm, but it, it's different. So it, um, but it might also be a little bit how I'm wired. Like maybe I think I've probably been wired to never quite be afraid of that. Like I'm, I'm a person who tends towards deep and complex conversations. So some of that might be personality as well. Um, but that metaphor comes to mind for it's a different sort of stability. Yeah, I love it. I appreciate you giving us a good metaphor because, you know, if there was a simple answer, then I think it'd be easy just to say, well, then we should all encourage people to do that. But like when it's a metaphor, because 
it, it's helpful because you can kind of live into it and then like move out of it and then maybe live into it a little bit more. And I love that, although like the tree trunk analogy is really cool or like, you know, that idea, because I can imagine some people feeling like they need to be an oak tree, like immovable, like solid, deep roots, that kind of thing. And then others are like, you know, I kind of like swaying a little bit. Like I kind of like that movement, I like that flow, I like feeling the wind. Um, and, and yet both are stable. Both aren't going anywhere. Both can feel a, a, a sense of groundedness. Like you're, cause like what I don't hear you saying is, oh, I really like feeling ungrounded and untethered. Like those weren't words that you used. You actually used words like foundation and like solid. And, you know, like, so there was still a, a kind of deep resonance and connection and it wasn't a loss of foundation. It was just like maybe a differently made foundation, which is kind of cool. Sorry, I took us off on a tangent. <clears throat> I hope that was okay. Well, no, I want to hear Lisa's answer now. Well, I was thinking about, um, I mean, I like the metaphor because I think I just read an article about like if trees that are planted in a greenhouse don't have the same strength when you plant them because they don't deal with the wind as they, as they grow. Um, and they like tip over then. <laughs> which I was like, hmm, that, that makes sense. Um, but I was thinking that in some ways for me, it was, um, the oak tree is a dangerous image for me. Like it's a little bit of, um, like I grew up, like certainty was actually important. Like believing what I was taught, like taking everything that the pastor said is like, that's the thing. Here's your answer. You don't even have to like read it. Like I'll read it for you and I'll interpret it and I'll tell you what to do. And in some ways that what happened then is that when it didn't feel, when life didn't feel congruent, everything fell apart. And I don't think that that's how it has to be. Um, I really like to like for me being able to ask questions without feeling like I'm on the outside of things or like I'm somehow bad for asking them was really important and that just wasn't a message that I ever got so I just for me I think it's a little bit um for me wrestling it feels like freedom it feels like the most freeing important thing I get to do and I love doing it because for so long it felt restricted um so like yeah it feels there's a little bit of a difference um for me and that like I can't imagine going back to like well this is the answer <laughs> although sometimes I feel strongly about something I do feel like there are some things where I'm like oh I feel strongly about this one but um wrestling has been like it that what was scary is actually certainty so that's what I was thinking yeah, I, I'm a part of part of my reason for diving in here is I think it's just an opportunity for us to maybe put words around what other people may have experienced at times or maybe flirting with but not knowing if it's okay or, you know, I think sometimes when we put language to things, it gives people permission to also go there. Um, other times it, it's putting language to it so that someone sees it as like, oh, I didn't even know that was possible. Like I, you know, it, it kind of opens up an, an, an option. Um, I recently had someone ask me the question, like, why, you know, kind of, why are you so comfortable, you know, in, in the questions and is there, do you, is there anything that you feel is certain? Um, 
and you know, I, I chuckled because I was like, well, yeah, there's a lot that I feel is certain. It's just not similarly defined as like this doctrine or this doctrine or this doctrine or this doctrine or this statement of faith or this statement of faith. It's more like, I really like the idea that death and resurrection is kind of like how things like flow. I really like that, like this Trinitarian idea of relational dynamics is how things are interconnected. I really like that my conception of God is probably best defined in the fruit of the spirit as opposed to some list of like characteristics, you know, like which those characteristics can be fine. Um, but it's definitely not defined in the gender. It's definitely not defined in some authority. It's defined in like our, you know, peace and, and joy and patience and moving towards justice. Like, um, so yeah, I have a lot of things that I don't negotiate. I don't negotiate justice. I don't nego negotiate love. I don't negotiate relational connection and shalom. Um, but when we get into the end times, like, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not as solid on exactly what happens when I die. You know, I kind of haven't done that yet, but I've seen relationships fall apart and need to be reborn. Um, you know, I've seen spring, you know, I've seen winter, like, um, I know the, the cells in my body die every seven years and then come back, you know, like, um, so yeah, there's things, there's a lot of things I have that are firm. Reminded me of. When when I name that this is also probably just a part of my personality that I've had, I'm reminded in what you just said about my statement of faith that I had to write for seminary and that I tried to not write anything about end times. <laughs> what I wrote was, I don't think we can know. And I think it's preposterous, preposterous that you're having us write a statement about something we can't know. Oh, that, that, over. that got a big fat rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> Because we need to know that you know what you could know, like you, that you've done your work. And so I had to figure out how to how to say that differently, like show that I'd done my work while also still saying like I refuse to stake a claim on something I don't feel like we can stake a claim on. Yeah. I think that took that a few rewrites. <laughs> wow. That's fascinating. Um, well, a couple of things pop up, I think, from our check-ins and we could... Um, I don't know. I don't remember how we voted last time we did this when there's only three of us because I got three passages. <laughs> oh, good. 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 Um, so actually, um, the reimagining Jesus pops something right away, uh, though it could be its own <laughs> series. <laughs> but um, but to actually follow the name of Jesus across the arc of scripture, because Jesus wasn't the first person to have that name. Um, and how it helps us maybe see Jesus differently to see the people along the way who had the same name um, and sort of do a, a trajectory study of sorts across that name. Um, and thinking about this interesting place of vision and watching, um, Exodus 24 um, is this place where the people are in the wilderness and they're at Mount Sinai and they're given a vision. The elders are given a vision. What is the vision they're given and how do they translate it back to the people who are sitting in the mountain, bottom of the mountain, wondering what to do? And then thinking about actually this conversation we just had to study Genesis 32, which is when the name Israel pops up as a name and it's then used after that. And like, what is the story of that origin of that name? Um, that then becomes the name of the people that follow. 
So three choices. <laughs> um, the the reason I the, I think the reasons the name popped up right away or the trajectory of following Jesus' name is the um, is that the strength comes up in one of the uses of in one of the backstories of that name. Um, so that would take us first to Joshua one, um, and then we would pop into some other passages as well. So. Personally, I'm game for that. I mean, I don't know if that like gets at what Lisa was hoping for. I mean, I'm sure there's a whole lot more there when it comes to reimagining Jesus. But if that's a good thought for what she was anticipating in a way, I would well, be game for that. Here's what I'll say. When I check in, I try not to think about what I'm thinking about. Like I'm not trying to shoot for a passage. I want to just be this is what's on my, it's the thing. Um, and then I try to listen to other people to hear a passage. <laughs> <laughs> but if I can't do it for myself, it's too manipulative um, to like, for me to do it. I think in a, in a position of someone who leads studies, I have to be careful with that. Um, but I do love, I actually think, as you said that stuff, I actually think just doing Joshua one might be an interesting space with, uh, in considering the name, mm -hmm. like tying it to like a, like just holding a lens of Jesus within it. Mm -hmm. Um I'm open to any of them. I was going to say Jason should just pick. <laughs> I was actually thinking the same thing. Maybe step past the pick. Well, I mean, that was that, that energy drifted right towards Joshua one, I think for both of you. So let's, let's trust that and let's go there as a starting place. We'll see if we hit other um, passages as well, but maybe that begins with this sort of rooting of a name before we even look at Joshua one and to say, um, Jesus, um, I'm just going to name how we got here and then we'll read Joshua one, um, and figure out what place to, to read for the podcast listeners. But Jesus is Jesus's Greek name, but he would have been walking around speaking Aramaic and he was a Hebrew person. And so his name, like as his mother called him would have been Yeshua. Um, Yeshua is the name of, um, Yah is short for the name of God and Yesha, which means salvation. So Yah is salvation or Yah is saving is the name that the, that Jesus parents are told to give him. And when we call Jesus Yeshua, that helps us connect that name to the Hebrew scriptures. Jesus sort of feels like it's a unique name because it's Greek. <laughs> So we haven't seen that name in our, you know, as we've read, but in Hebrew, it would be a name that we've seen before. And the first place we see it is in this person of Yeshua in the book of Yeshua, um, Joshua, as we say it in English, um, who is the leader that comes around after Moses, Joshua one, one through six, uh, reading from the new King James version after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. It came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, 
and the great sea toward going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Okay. Well, let's just start with what rises up as you read or hear that passage. I think there's a lot floating to the surface for me. Um, one, if you're Joshua, it feels very like, man, you got a purpose, you got a call. <laughs> like, that feels very empowering. I think the second thing that pops up for me, and it's completely different, is it feels... Um, I got some question marks coming because if I'm a Hittite, I'm not loving this passage because basically God is saying your land is going to be given to somebody else. And that feels, I mean, colonizing comes to mind or, you know, genocide comes to mind. I mean, there's just like, you know, human history has like taught us that this, that typically when one group moves in on another group, it doesn't go well for one of them. Um, and bad things can happen. And, you know, knowing the history of the Old Testament and the violence of it, you know, I'm just anticipating a lot now. And it just raises some question marks about what's going on. So I'm holding both of those beautiful calling. And then, you know, the tension around this land. Hmm. it's interesting is because my brain is trying to do some work real fast um because it's part of the tension of, i mean it's part of the tension of joshua i mean good gravy the whole thing is like battles and <laughs> like we don't like to study joshua that deeply we like a few of the quotes for our pillows but that's about it we don't want to really talk about <laughs> other things so i was thinking yeah. but i was thinking like our assumption when we hear that God is giving them land is that they're conquering it and taking it. But I don't hear that. Like I, what I, if I just try to pay attention to the words, I'm not hearing like, like conquer and take it. I'm hearing out, like I'm giving it to you. And in some ways I feel like, like, I wonder if this is like, I don't know, like, is there a way to enter into this differently other than like ownership of the land? like that you control the land um yeah i'm just i'm curious about like what it means that god is giving the land what that means yeah. or could mean mm -hmm. well and, and i think that helps to I, I think i mean as we talked about wrestling and holding questions we're not going to resolve all of the questions of the book of joshua <laughs> This is a, this is probably what, I mean, I think Lisa's right. This is probably one of the books that we consciously or subconsciously avoid because besides some of these good quotes that we might know, it's got a lot of battles in it and it's very violent. Um, and that's, it's hard to know what to do with the violent books. And so we don't, we can hold that and we can let some of those questions just be hard. And we can also look for different entry points into the question. So that's a great one. Like, is there a different way to hear this than a violent conquering at this stage of things? 
or is there a different way? I mean, I think some of what that does is it just puts us, let's, let's, let's set the stage for who these people are as the starting point. So when Joshua is leading the people, who are the people that he is leading? What has their history been? They've spent a lot of time in the wilderness. I mean, if we're, it starts out with the death of Moses, which is a significant, like that's a significant leadership death, but it also means that they're now, they've completed the 40 years of wandering and they're ready for what's next. So these are people who have never had a land. They were raised in the wilderness. This is the second generation of people. Their existence has been wandering the Sinai desert, eating manna every day, and having Moses and a cloud to guide them. Now they're transitioning into a place where Joshua is going to lead them instead of Moses. And Joshua is going to lead them into a land that they're going to inhabit. So if we put ourselves in that position of those people, what, what is this moment in time for them? Fulfillment, um, scary. It's, I, I can't relate to it. There's probably something exciting, like crossing, like those threshold moments of like somebody telling, I don't. I'm trying to, th- I don't know if I have a good metaphor. Steph, do you have a metaphor? Like, I feel like there's a, like, I was like, it's like that culmination of like, then actually being able to do the thing that you feel like you've been promised or told that you were going to do for a really long time. Um, you know, it's like the first day of the career that you went to school for, for forever. You're finally able to do it. But that first day is a little bit, you're uncertain. Like, are you actually doing the thing? <laughs> I don't know. Like some of those moments feel big. I think those moments like, yeah, like it's like, you know, maybe like the birth of a child or like, you know, for like my family, like that adoption journey. And then like, you know, you're there and it's just like this moment and like your whole life's changing right before you. Um, And I can imagine those are emotionally resonant to some degree, but I'm also thinking like, okay, they were in slavery and then wilderness. There's like, I, I don't know what conception of, freedom autonomy of identity they they have as a people and and i don't know especially as a white male you know cisgendered married pastor in suburban minnesota if i have any capacity to relate to that like it it just like i can talk about children i can talk about new job and like i agree those are I can, I can talk about training for a half marathon and then the day of the run and feeling all that anticipation. Like now I get to do it. Now I get to cross the finish line. Now I get to, you know, do this thing that I've been working really hard for. And yet it's like, yeah, but I, it was a run. It didn't have consequence or it's a job that, yeah. And if it works out great and if it doesn't, I can get another one or yes, this is a big thing with a kid and it it changes my whole life. Uh, But it's not like my whole life I've been in uncertainty and wandering and wondering and anticipating and never knowing and it just I don't even know how to relate to it yeah and I love that you're expanding it out to this people group in a long period of time and let's make that period of time even longer so in verse six who received the promise of this land well Abraham originally right Right. Abraham Isaac and Jacob because we're talking like way before Egypt 
Right. When we're talking about you're about to cross over into the land that was promised to your ancestors, who are the ancestors that they're talking about? Well, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had this existence inside the land of Canaan. And then there was a famine during the years of Joseph, Jacob's son, and the family group went and lived in Egypt to be saved from this famine. But then Egypt became a place of slavery where they spent over 400 years as an oppressed people group. They left that oppression into this wandering of the wilderness. They're now going to be leaving the wandering of the wilderness to finally inhabit the promise that came 500 years ago to their ancestors. This isn't just a thing that I was dreaming about since I was a kid. This is a 500-year-old promise to my people who have now survived slavery and a wilderness wandering before getting to this threshold moment where we can cross. Yeah, but also in that wandering, it's not like they're wandering without anything. Mm-hmm. Like there's there the tools of the wilderness are significant tools for how to do this work. Like to have manna every day while you might be sick of it is to have provision every day as a community in a, in a miraculous sort of way. But even if you get numb to the miracle of it, it still is a miraculous. You have a, you have a cloud and fire, like whether it's like scary or you get irritated by the thing, you actually have a physical visual presence that's reminding you of following God. And so in some ways, like this grouping that's going in, we're not, while they are for sure impacted by the enslavement of their parents and ancestors, this group is not, these, this group was not enslaved. This group has to have, has had to have to learn how to carry their parents' history And then this new way of doing things and now another new way of doing things. So like, there's this interesting, like 40 years journey. That's it's, it's like a learning, it's a learning ground of, I mean, it's really a rooting, but doesn't feel like a rooting. Yeah. And that's actually good correction on the language I used because I got sloppy and I called it a wilderness wandering, but actually it's, it's never called that at least. I mean, it's always dangerous to say an always or a never, <laughs> but um, generally it is not called a wandering. God leads the people through the wilderness. Those 40 years had a, a formational purpose to how they lived that was meant to equip them into how to live now in this next phase. But that whole journey in that 500 years, what it's starting to do is we're in Joshua one is to remember that we, whatever we do with the battles of the old Testament, as we tend to call them, the violence and battles of the old Testament to always remember that they are from the perspective of an oppressed minority group fighting for something, not the oppressor fighting for something. Um, because that changes a little bit sometimes how we hold what those what that is what is the hard what is it that what is it for them to move into a land when they have never had a land that they could inhabit and farm and live on Um, because they've either been nomads and their ancestors were nomads then they were strangers in Egypt then they were led through the wilderness this is the first time this people group is going to have the chance to live someplace 
there's always that tension. It's an interesting, I mean, I think it's applicable to lots of things as I'm thinking through it. The danger is always in like what you do when you're not oppressed. Right. Because that's like to remember that this is a, this group is an oppressed group that has lacked power. Um, doesn't mean that that's always the position that they will be in for the end of time. Yes. Even inside of scripture that there's going to be a movement where they become the oppressor instead of the oppressed. But at this point in time in Joshua one, that's not happened yet. They have the opportunity to inhabit a land differently than other people have inhabited land and learn from their story of having been oppressed and learn from what it was to have God's provision in the wilderness and inhabit a land in a way that reflects that character of God to their neighbors. And I always go back to kind of that original call of Abraham promise, and it was to be a blessing to all the nations. And we don't see that very often, right? We don't see the Old Testament narrative isn't filled with, and then they hung out with their neighbors and they had lots of really healthy, fun parties where they didn't argue at all, you know, and everybody flourished around them. I mean, we just don't see that narrative play out. And yet that was the intent. And so, you know, there's a part of me that's like, well, where does like power and struggle and, you know, all that complexity that we see with what it means to be human, right? Power over others is kind of the way the world works. And, and yet Israel has this call to bless others and to be a blessing. And so what does it look like as they're about to enter the land? And are they holding that mentality of, yes, we are promised this land or this land is what we are going to enter into, but we're entering into it to be a blessing, not to be the dominating force that gets to rule. Like, what does it mean to hold that potentially differently? Which gets at verse two in this subtle piece that we can miss when we're, when we um, transliterate instead of translate. So at the end of verse two, these, this people group is called the children of Israel. And we just let that roll off our tongue as the transliteration. If we translate it and we say the children of wrestling, the children of those who wrestle with the children who wrestle with God and with humans and are able to say, as you inhabit this land, it is going to be a wrestle because it is going to be a wrestle to figure out what, how do we live with these other people groups that are here? What do we take? What do we coexist? What do we like? What does that look like is not going to be easy. And we tend to think of crossing like this. Oh, yay. We're done with the wilderness. It's time to step into ease. No, it's time to step into your name as wrestling and blessing. And that's going to be hard. It reminds me, it's really interesting to think about the, like how hard it is and to think about blessing from the perspective of, so what I'm thinking about is um, when I work with folks who are incarcerated, they actually have a natural disposition towards blessing, um, towards wanting to bless somebody, towards wanting to be what I consider like kind and generous. Um, and they don't have the means to do so in lots of ways, right? Like it really, they really do have to be creative uh, in how they do it and how they care for each other. And I think about myself 
who I have all the means. And it is not my natural intuition. And it's just interesting to think about, um, to put on a group that is coming in as having been oppressed to be the blessing and to carry that forward. And in some ways it's the only group that knows how to do it. And yet they're the group that it's the hardest to like get it done. Hey everyone, it's Jason. And we're going to continue this episode in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to let you know, we are starting a Patreon page. Patreon is a site for people to give a monthly donation for the work of a podcast or other creative endeavor. And so you can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can search Searching the Sacred and then sign up to become a follower and to donate on a monthly basis. That could be as small as $1.00. Uh, a month, $5 a month, $10 a month or more. Whatever you think works for your life and for the work that we're doing, we would appreciate any support that you can give us so that we can continue to put this podcast out there and to continue to do this work. We are grateful to do it. If you're curious about an easier way to get to this site, we will have uh, a link in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Thank you for being with us on this journey. Thanks for being a part of this community. We look forward to much, much more. Like one of the ways that I hold these battles that are to come is, is this work that I feel like we're getting at as we're talking about wrestling, as we're talking about blessing, like that it just, I don't like the violence of it, but it also feels like fighting is the right metaphor. Um, even as I struggle with the, the literal like colonization problems that are a part of it. I'm also like, gosh, I bet that feeling, it feels so tangible that it's going to be that kind of hard work, that it's going to be that kind of physical exertion or that kind of, um, it just requires a lot, like figuring out how to move into this space of living in a land instead of living in the wilderness is just going to take a lot of hard navigating. Um, and metaphorically, that makes sense to me. Then even, even, as I, even as I struggle with the actuality of it, the metaphor of the battle makes sense to me as I think of, of what that is to actually na- figure that out. How do I inhabit my own thing and bless others at the same time? Where in all of this, you know, we're, we're being told the expanse that they're going to be given. Where in there do I choose and does my tribe choose to settle down and to live? Am I going to farm or am I going to shepherd or am I going to build a city and be a mayor? Like what, like everything is in front of me. All of these decisions are in front of me and in front of us. What is it going to look like to be a people group that now, instead of all being circled around one tabernacle are going to be spread? How do we maintain unity while also inhabiting our individual lives? How do we move in? There's other people groups here and there's other people groups who are going to be walking through when we think about this land that they're being given. Um, it's a land that is a... Um, uh, traversed a lot. It's the strip of land that exists between the um, 
the Babylonian empire and the Egyptian empire. Um, and there's, and, and, um, and that, that that's a traversed piece of land where there's going to be other people, not only living there, but walking through, like, how do we relate to those strangers who walk through? Like, these are really hard questions that are in front of them, even as they're also on this sort of exciting feeling of being on that precipice. You know, I heard once, uh, I think it was maybe Rob Bell who did a podcast on this actually, um, talking about the Lord's prayer. And at the end of it, that, um, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the way that he explained it, I, I really appreciated, is that once you have your daily bread and your needs are met, and once you have a reconciliation with the past and like the debts and the, the ways that you've harmed one another, once you've resolved that tension, it's likely that you're going to find yourself in a place of gaining, you know, stuff like the land, possession. You're going to come into a time of having authority and the temptation is that that you think it's something for you to own and to distribute and to decide as opposed to a blessing to be given away and i really appreciate that because i always was i always struggled with the end of the lord's prayer and what is jesus talking about there like what is like why would god tempt us like or what what does that tempt to and and like, oh, it's a temptation of power. It's a temptation of thinking that I've somehow earned this because of my divine innateness, as opposed to the other person who is not as wonderful as I am. And so, uh, so holding that differently, that that's a that's a true that's a real temptation. And I think it's a temptation that Israel is about to experience. Right? It's the we've had our daily bread, like literally the manna. <laughs> You know, we are reconciling with our past for 40 years. We've wrestled with who are we and who are we becoming? And we're entering into this time where we're going to get this land. Now, what do we do with it? And the temptation is that you use it to end up exploiting others, or do you use it to be a blessing to others? And that's the temptation Israel is about to step into. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses's final sermon to them over and over again was saying, don't forget all of this because you're going to move into the land and you're going to forget. You're going to feel like all the abundance is from you and for you. It's not. Mm -hmm. I love um, that you said both those things, that the abundance is from you and for you, not just for you, but also from you. Like you somehow did something to attain this, which Sorry to fast forward into 2022, but that's one of the biggest ridiculous arguments that white privilege tends to scream is I've earned this. I've earned my privilege. I've, I've worked hard. I've gotten the job. I've earned the education. I, 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 I. And the fallacy is that it's built on the backs of slavery, built on the backs of marginalization and oppression, built on the backs of patriarchy, built on the backs of misogyny, built on the backs of all these things that are uh, just are awful and, and are not you. <laughs> um, and it's not about you work harder. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not why you're uh, a wealthy landowner who can put your kid in private school. Like, no, I'm sorry. It's not because you work harder. Like there's a lot of other factors going into this that you had no control over and other people didn't have control over their factors and their situation. And so we have to drop those. It's from us for us. I love that you, you put both of those in. Sorry to 
over politicize this moment, but. But I think that's appropriate. That's a part of how we bring things forward as we say, how does this apply? And those words, Deuteronomy 8, if anybody wants to look it up, is a, is a particular easy place to zoom in and hear Moses saying this. Like, you're going to think it's from you. You're going to think it's for you. Remember the manna. Remember the wilderness. Remember you were strangers in Egypt. That's how you're supposed, that memory should help you hold that differently. Well, in some ways it is like pointing back to the text. If we go to like verse seven, like to be strong and courageous, it's not to be strong and courageous so you can conquer everybody. It's be strong and courageous to remember, to like, to hear the commandments, to hear the, to hear the law, to hear what God has said. Like, that's, what's going to take, that's what you're going to need courage and like strength for is to do is that you don't need the courage and strength to conquer. Right. I had, cause I had us end after verse six. So if you just hear be strong and courageous in verse six, you think, oh, be strong and courageous for all these battles ahead. But verse seven, be strong and courageous that you may observe and do everything according to the Torah. That's what you need the strength and courage for. Cause that's going to be the thing you're going to want to leave behind in all of this. Wow. Wow. So let's look at those words, strong and courageous. What are those words then? If these, if this is what, um, when I think about this idea that brought us here of the name of Jesus in history, I think about what does salvation look like at different points of this in the story of God. So at this point, Yah is salvation or Yah is saving looks like carrying the people into a land. What is the word being given to the people at that point when salvation looks like that? And the words that are repeated that we often know from this book is this idea of being strong and courageous. So what is the, um, and I used to be a children's pastor, you guys. So every time I'm here, I think of a kid's song. It is now like cycling in my head, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I can't. Doesn't matter Wait, how many Now we got to copyright about, this episode. Fair. Good job, Steph. <laughs> what? So now we have to find a copyright for this episode oh, because you had to sing it as opposed to say it. No, sorry. Um, (laughs) I think it's probably fine. I just saying a part of it. It's fine. Okay. So when we have the word strong, we have the word chazak. um, And it's got a really, that's just a good fight. It even sounds right. Like chazak. (laughs) Um, It's got a good (laughs) to begin it. Um, And it's to strengthen or prevail or harden So this is a word that we have heard before in the story of Exodus um, with the heart of Pharaoh being hard. But here it's a word being told to us in a way that's positive, um, that we're supposed to do it. So, but I think it helps to sort of start with like when Pharaoh's heart is hard, what is hard about, like what is happening in that part of the narrative when we're in the plagues? What is Pharaoh, what is a hard heart doing? Limiting. Not limiting changing its mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Limiting and not changing its mind. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in Pharaoh's good. case, that resistance to change is negative. You're not listening to God. It, are there also times where that resistance can be positive? When is, so the energy of chazak is a bit like digging in your heels. When can digging in our heels be a good thing? Probably when you're tempted to oppress somebody 
and you dig your heels in to be loving. Like, no, I will love you. Like, I will not abandon this. I will, I will try to bless you as hard as that may be. Like, I, I'm not going to become the oppressor here. You know, like, I could see digging in your heels in that moment being really important. I think it's so, like, I think over time we've seen that the importance of like digging our, digging in our heels around justice issues, because it's easy to like loosen. It's easy to get tired. It's easy to like forget the work that's still ahead to want to be done. And in some ways, like it is a, it takes a hazakh, like you've got to stay in it. And like, um, I think that like justice has that edge to me. Yeah, another translation of of hazak hazak is resolute. So that word comes to mind. Mm -hmm. There's a resoluteness. There's, I'm sticking with this. I will not leave this issue behind. Go ahead, Jason, sorry. Yeah, no, I love that because I think one of the troubles that we see in our modern society about racial reconciliation and doing the work of justice is you hear this phrase, but we've come so far, but we've come so far as if like, because we've come a long way, it's like good enough. And then we settle for the way things are when there's still, you know, so much inequity going on around us you know, so many inequities in like basically every system imaginable, whether it's an economic system, a justice system of, you know, the prison system, you know, the educational system, we can see inequities in all of these systems, but we've come so far. And that's where like that resoluteness and hardness of heart in a way is so beneficial to say, and we still need to keep going because it's might be better but it's not the way it should be. And we aren't at an equitable place yet. And that actually reminds me of the second word that's translated courage, um, which is amats. And so amats is an alertness and a physicality. And, and I, um, Rabbi Allen said, um, I love this definition of it, is a long endurance in the same direction. It's the kind of, the the second word is the kind of strength that prevails and keeps going, keeps walking, keeps thinking, doesn't stop, um, but continues on in that forward direction. So we have this energy of like resoluteness, digging in your heels, all these other nations are maybe doing it differently, or the world's going to pull you into a laziness or going to, there's going to be things that are going to try to pull you away from this way of being in the world, be resolute and firm, dig in your heels to the Torah and this way of loving neighbor that has been modeled and spoken to you and keep walking that out, be strong enough to keep walking that out day in and day out. That's going to take a courage. That's going to take uh, a firmness and a strength as well. So it's really both of these words could be translated as strong. It's be strong and be strong, <laughs> but it's different kinds of strength. Well, it's um, almost also, like it's like be strong and then continue being strong. So we're having that sort of strength, the strength and the strength to, uh, to observe and to do all that the Torah has said to us. What would this land look like if the people, like this is then maybe the model of what salvation could have looked like at this period in time, right? We have Yeshua is the, is the leader at this period of time. The people are moving from wilderness existence into this land. If this had happened, 
what would that land have looked like? What kind of salvation is being offered? Well, it's like that thing of like, I don't know if it's a, if you're able to like boil down the Torah, <laughs> but like it, it feels like if that's, if it's saying that that's what it's like, it means that the world reflects what God has intended it to reflect. Like, this is, this is the plan. This is the, this is what it should look like. Which, I mean, I love that idea of boiling down the Torah because this happens in the new Testament. And we often, we like talking about Jesus knowing how it boils down, but I love thinking about um, the conversation that begins what we often call the parable of the good Samaritan, because a teacher comes to Jesus and says like, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus asks him and the teacher says the same thing Jesus says. So it doesn't sound actually like Jesus is saying something new. Jesus seems to be saying something in those greatest commandments that everybody knows. Everybody seems to know, or at least the teachers of the law seem to know that the Torah boils down to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if the, if the guy who's, who kind of that conversation leading into the parable, of the good Samaritan, that guy knows it. That's what he says. So if, if the people knew that, like, what would a land look like? If people were loving the Lord, their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, listening, so that starts with, that's the Shema. They're listening and love your neighbor as yourself comes from Leviticus 19, which also talks about loving the stranger as yourself. So let's hold that in the mix. If they're loving their neighbor and the stranger as themselves, if they're listening to God's voice and loving God in return, be strong and courageous to live that way. That's what salvation could look like right now to you, this group of people. And that also looks that way to everyone else, not just to you, but like it becomes a ref- like it reflects it to everyone else, which mm-hmm. feels like that's the important factor of like living it out is that it is reflected for everyone, not just for your, it's not an internal dialogue. It reflects outward. Mm-hmm. I love that Lisa, because there's a part of me that like, hears that and like, here's like, oh, we're supposed to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're supposed to love our neighbor and the stranger as ourself. And I'm like, yeah, that, yes, that's the essence of this whole thing. That's the way it should be. That's the hum. That's the flow. That's what we should be about. And that sounds like the most ridiculous way to build a nation. <laughs> like, that just sounds like it doesn't work and you're setting yourself up to get massacred. Like, that, you know, loving your enemies is not like the best um international policy uh i mean it, it it sounds good but when they're willing to take you out and you're willing to lay yourself down that doesn't sound like a way to prolong the endeavor of building a nation and yet like i, I say that and i'm like but what does it mean to exist as a human without it like, what does it mean to exist as a, as a husband or a dad or a pastor or without love as the animating force of what you're about? Like, because if I don't, then, then it's about something else. Mm-hmm. That makes me think of, of the trajectory, actually. 
Um, because then what we're thinking about is we're like, okay, this is what salvation, when I think about this name of Yeshua over time in scripture, this name of Yesha salvation over time in scripture, think about how it changes form according to how things are going. So at this point in time, if the people are able to do that, this is what salvation looks like. Their leader is Yah's salvation. This is the kind of salvation being ushered in. However, it's not what happens. Even by the time you get to the book of Judges, you have everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. That's not even getting to the time period of the kings yet. So it doesn't go well. So then we get to another time period and we get to the time period of Hosea and Isaiah, which also both carry of the name Yasha. So Hosea is a minor prophet. Isaiah is a major prophet existing in similar time periods. Um, and Hosea is, his name is actually Yasha without the Yah. So the name of God, salvation, his name is salvation. And then Isaiah, the reason it sounds different than Yeshua is it's just reversed. It's Yasha, Yah, instead of Yah, Yasha. But Isaiah and, J and Joshua have the same name. And so then we can say, what does salvation look like when now we've been in the land for a long time and the Torah is not at the center and love has not been the way we've been doing things. And when we're in Isaiah one, it's talking about actually like, don't bring <laughs> don't appear before me in festivals anymore um, because you've been oppressing. So in the case of Isaiah, what is, I mean, if we were to summarize the very large book of Isaiah, what is Isaiah saying? Pastor Jason, <laughs> Pastor Lisa, how would you summarize the book of Isaiah? I mean, I think there's more than one theme of it, obviously. <laughs> like you said, it's like a massive number of chapters. Um, and, and, and some scholars would even break it up into like two distinct parts um, with potentially different authorship. And I would say part of it is to, to remember, get back to the story that you need to re, uh, reconnect with. And then there's also this kind of beautiful, but I'm doing something new. I'm, I'm up to something. God is like, there's a hopefulness, there's a trajectory of Isaiah that is like, despite all that we've been jacking it up and messing it up and not gone well, like, I'm not done with you yet. And, and there's still hope. And so there's a hopefulness in Isaiah um, that is really, really beautiful. And so, yeah, I, I think what does salvation look like in Isaiah? I mean, it looks a little bit like, new creation, resurrection, rebirth, as opposed to maybe initial birth, <laughs> an initial, you know, well, what does rest, what does resurrection require? What else is Isaiah talking about? The death of what you've been up to. Okay. Isaiah has a message of you are losing this land. This land has become a place of oppression. Yes, I'm not done with you. And yes, you will re be reborn. But that rebirth looks like losing what you thought was the guarantee. Losing what you thought it was about so that you can back, get back to the heart of what it's always been about. Because it's never actually been about the land. And so salvation now actually looks like you losing that land. To remember the heart. Right, because initially you thought salvation was getting the land misplacing salvation Ooh. 
And now when we look, when we trajectory that into the New Testament, think about how many people thought Jesus was there to restore the land. Perhaps because they lost the message of Isaiah. It's never actually been about the land. The land was a part of a bigger story of be strong and courageous as it relates to that Torah that's centered on love. It feels like it's the same message over and over. Like, I'm not abandoning. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's the same. The work is the same. Be a blessing. Love, love God, love others. And then, how, like, and where are you? Like, the question of, like, are you, like, in Joshua, they're, they're brand new. It's a little bit of a, it's a softer message, it feels like, in the beginning. <laughs> like, a little bit of, a little bit, like, you can do this. And Isaiah has to, like, there's a little bit of thought. That's bringing some. It's bringing some hard news. And it makes me wonder about like, in lots of ways, like what I always heard, like Jesus was just doing, like Jesus is the kindest, gentlest human being. Like, look at those soft brown eyes looking at you with tenderness. And I, like, I'm like, I don't think that's what Jesus is doing anymore. I actually think like Jesus is bringing in a hard message. Like if, if I, instead of focusing, like, instead of focusing on the death and resurrection, which is important, but like there are books and chapters and verses about what Jesus is doing. And I wonder if we allow Jesus, I mean, taking into that reimagining of Jesus question, what if we allow Jesus to be both Yeshua and Isaiah? to say how perhaps with his disciples, with his followers, is he being that strong and courageous leader, helping people center on this Torah of love? And how with people who are religious leaders who've been around for a while, is he more in that camp of Isaiah saying, you guys, you brood of vipers, like you you have lost the heart of something. I'm gonna speak firmly to you about what you have lost the heart of so you can get back to that heart again. And to notice how Jesus's tone varies according to who he's with and the salvation he's trying to bring to them. Because for some, salvation looks like the message of Isaiah. And for some, salvation looks like the message of Joshua. And I would encourage us to sit in both positions because I don't think we get to just stick in one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So good. So I wonder if we, I mean, Part of what this was maybe saying without saying it is what if what if Jesus carrying the name of salvation means more than simply the death and resurrection? We focus, I mean, that's sort of like what you were you were just saying, Lisa, but maybe in a little different form to say, what if that's not the only salvation that is being brought by this uh, person from the first century? What if there's a salvation in the message? What if there's a salvation in the way of being in the world? What if there's a salvation that we are meant to see in the whole of the gospel message, not just the ending, um, and the whole of the scripture, not just the gospels? And what does reimagining salvation look like as we reimagine Jesus? That's a good kick at the tire heresy. shoot <laughs> i mean that was beautifully held together but also whew, okay 
because like for me that's the like the the tail end of that then is like is salvation still happening do we still need a, a certain like Like in some ways we don't have it right. Like it, like it's that question of like pushing against a little bit of the golden ticket. Like the idea that like, oh, it's all done. I got nothing to do. Like, are we still called to like live out that promise? Are we still called to remember the work? Does that work matter? How important is it that we participate in loving each other and loving God? And I don't know. I mean, I think it begs the question, and we don't have time for this at the end of an episode, but it really begs the question, do we have the definition of salvation right? Because if the definition of salvation is just, I have to cognitively assent to a few certain items, and then I get to go to heaven when I die, then why in the world would Jesus say the greatest commandment is love God and love your neighbor? Because apparently, I don't have to believe that. I just have to believe that Jesus died and rose again and wanted to save me and live with me forever. I don't have to believe in love. Like that's not really a part of it. Like maybe salvation is less about where I go and more about how I exist. And, and that, yeah, I might be kicking at the tires of heresy. No, I, but I just want people, but I don't think I am because I think that the entire biblical narrative is inviting us into salvation, which is a way of being in the world that looks more and more like love and justice and kindness than like arrogant people who think that we know it all. I would love to end with you repeating the succinct statement you made that Lisa and I both reacted to. (laughs) Do you remember what it was in the middle there? What if salvation... What if salvation is less about going to heaven when we die than how we live in the world? Is that what I said? Let's go think about- (laughs) Way to end a podcast with a big question mark. (laughs) Well, maybe that begins or ends where we began with let's go wrestle with that question and normalize the wrestle of, of a question like that. What if salvation is less about where we go when we die and more about how we exist on this earth? This podcast is a partnership between 40 Orchards and Processing Faith. 40 Orchards invites people to wrestle through biblical texts using the ancient Jewish concepts of Midrash. In a 40 Orchard study, every question is safe, everyone is welcome, and every voice is valued. We believe there's room for all of us. No person and no question is off limits because we know that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40orchards.org. That's 40orchards.org. Processing Faith is a space created by Jason Steffenhagen for people to do exactly that, process their faith. It's not one thing, but more like a good recipe. It's like one part pastoral care, one part theological exploration, and one part wrestling with all the questions. You can learn more about Processing Faith and sign up for a free 45-minute session by going to ProcessingFaith.com. Thanks again for joining us on Searching the Safe. Thank you.